Welcome to Beer, Beats, and Business, the business podcast for smart people who appreciate the insights found in a good conversation. That guy sitting at the end of the proverbial bar is your host, David J.P. Fisher, but everyone around here just calls him D-Fish. He's an author, speaker, and business coach. Basically, he's a professional talker. So grab a glass of your favorite beverage, grab a seat, and join us for today's episode. Let's see where the conversation takes us. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another interesting conversation with an interesting person. Today, the part of interesting person is being played by my good friend, Sean Callahan. Sean is the senior manager of content marketing at LinkedIn. Uh, He is also a part of the team that recently released LinkedIn's annual state of sales report. He is also somebody who I've had beers with and just talked all things LinkedIn and sales with uh, around the country, in fact. So I'm super excited for this conversation. Sean, how are you? I'm great, D. How are you doing today? Well, as always, I am living the dream. And uh, part of the reason why I'm living the dream, of course, is due to uh, our beer sponsor for today's episode. Uh, I am drinking a Baltic Porter from Dovetail Brewery right here in uh, Chicago on the north side of the city. And I have actually uh, had this beer before, so I'm pretty excited because I know it's delicious. Not a lot of people know that a Baltic Porter is actually a lager, not an ale. And most porters are ales. So there's a little bit of beer trivia for you. But uh, thank you to everybody over at Dovetails for uh, supporting the show. And of course, I want to give a shout out to our season sponsor, Northcut SEO. Northcut SEO run by our good friends, uh, our good friend, Corey Northcutt. Uh, They have a simple mission to author SEO success stories for enterprise, enterprise, cloud, and e-commerce businesses. So if you want to get found online, definitely check out Northcutt SEO. And that is uh, Northcutt with two T's. All right. The bills are paid. Business is out of the way. Sean, let's dive in. And uh, we had you actually on the show last season when the 2020 state of sales report came out the 2021 state of sales report uh came out recently as well i had a chance to go through it really fascinating uh you know just to uh for full disclosure i was quoted in it as well uh but i still think it's a fantastic report what did you notice in putting this together that has changed what is different really what did a year of pandemic and social distancing due to how we sell? Yeah. Uh, so, small small question, I know. Small question. Give me just a so, sentence or two. Yeah, let me condense this, uh, the 47-page report into a couple sentences here. But the, there's a couple things, I think, that are that really stand out to me. One is that the COVID and how we re- responded to it really accelerated a lot of the trends that were already happening. You know, mm-hmm. virtual selling that continued apace, and I don't think that's probably ever going to go away again. You know, there may right. be a hybrid form, but there's going to be less person to person, face to face contact in sales now and moving forward. Okay, um, so that's that's one huge thing. I think the idea of buyer first has also accelerated because in the pandemic, you sort of had to, the first thing you had to do was sort of assess where your customer was. Like, is it a company like say Zoom or Peloton that just had explosive growth? Right. Or was it a company in the travel industry that was, you know, (laughs) essentially sidelined 
for months and months. And how you dealt with that company as a salesperson really depended on you thinking about the buyer first. You couldn't come in with a prepackaged pitch. You had to understand where uh, the company was and how they were impacted by this pandemic. So those are two things that sort of like the the pandemic shifted. You know, the buyer first was going to become more important, virtual selling more important. But remote work was like a genuine change. Right. From before, like there was remote work was sort of becoming something that that people did, but now it's like front and center for both salespeople and their buyers, and so it changes it from right. both ends of the spectrum. And one of the interesting stats that is in state of sales for the for the U.S. Canada version is that fifty percent of buyers said that the buying process was made easier by being remote. People wow. they love it. You know, a huge yeah. chunk of people say that the buying process was made easier because they were away from the office and maybe out of the reach of, of salespeople uh, calling them on them in person. And they and maybe a lot of these buyers preferred being able to make their decisions or, or get information without having to, to meet face to face. Super interesting. And in fact, I think all of those changes that you just talked about to go to something you said, they were happening or were going to happening or going to happen, going to happen regardless. It just, it just super, it sounds like it really did supercharge the evolution, right? I always um, say to clients right now that, hey, digital transformation was happening. We just had 10 years of transformation happen in 10 months. Well, I think that's exactly right. And I, I liken it to, um, and I, I may have said this on this podcast before. What I, I think it bears repeating is that in 2008, 2009, where we had the, uh, the the recession then, that moved the kind of the print advertising to online advertising. Because online right. advertising was A, less expensive, and B, you could immediately prove that it was working or not, where print, yep. it, it took a, some time and was more expensive. So those advertising dollars that were shrinking moved online quickly, and it and it you know, like you say, 10 years happened in 10 months. And that's, I think what's happening with sales right now. Yeah, I think so. And what's interesting though, and maybe where this is a little divergent from that migration of advertising to the online space, this is, at least from my perspective, a much messier transformation, right? There's a word you used a moment ago, hybrid. I really do think we're going to go to more of a hybrid way of interacting and engaging with people, especially in business and, and definitely in sales, where the the in-person I don't think is going to be gone forever. I think it'll come back. And the face-to-face with Zoom and video and all that kind of great stuff is, is still here. But it's going to be much more integrated where there will be times where we meet in person or we go we still go to a conference or a trade show. There will be times where it's, Hey, just grab a Zoom call, right? I, I think this is where, and and I think you're biased. I'm definitely biased on this one too. It's like LinkedIn becomes much more important as a place, as a forum to have conversations between buyers and sellers. And I think that that's going to take some some time, and also like some some skill resetting. I don't know. D- does that make sense? I, I think that absolutely makes sense. I mean, you talk, uh, hybrid is a word that people are using a lot for the buying process uh, these days. And I, th- I think that's exactly right. I think on the one hand, companies are 
especially from the sales side, are comfortable not having their people travel if sales are still mm-hmm. happening, you know, because travel and entertainment expense uh, cut, if they're still meeting their numbers, is it go, you know, all that goes to the bottom line, right? So I think there right. is a sense from sales organizations like, I can do this without having to spend money that I thought I had to spend before. But at the same time, there is no substitute for getting in front of people, meeting people at conferences, coming into the office. Like those things are going to have to begin to happen again. uh, Just to just that's just the way business works. Even in a even in a world that's more virtual, I think that stuff is is still going to happen. And it does require like a broader skill set for a sales. Yeah, you know, being convincing in person. Versus, you know, in the virtual world, like writing is very important and that writing skill right. and um, being able to to read and interpret what people are saying in, in emails or in emails on, on LinkedIn uh, versus being able to read the body uh, language in person. And not only is the buying process hybrid, but the salesperson skills will have to be even more hybrid than they already they already are. That's a great way of putting it. One one thing that I uh actually wrote about uh, in the upcoming, so I guess here's a a little plug, uh, upcoming second edition of Networking in the 21st Century, although if you're listening to this months and months in the future, it's already out, go get it. But I I talked about how one of the skills that would be really important for networking and definitely I think in sales is knowing what communication channel to use, right? So I love what you said there about hybrid skill sets, but it's also, hey, am I good online? Am I good in person? And am I good at knowing which which one to use, right? Do, do I need to get on a plane and go talk to this prospect and close this deal versus can I just make, do that Zoom call, right? Yeah, and we you mentioned LinkedIn as being one one of the pathways to to reaching prospects and customers, and we're seeing in the in the survey that we did, we're seeing sellers in particular ramping up their use of LinkedIn. We saw about three quarters of sellers say they are committed to expanding their LinkedIn network in in this year. Wow. Uh, more than half of sellers, it was fifty one percent, say that they plan to write many more articles for LinkedIn this year, so that. They become they use LinkedIn as a as a as a, a conduit for thought leadership, getting out. Mm-hmm. And forty percent said they're going to share much more third party content, and thirty six percent said they're going to share much more of their own company's content. So it speaks to that uh, the thought leadership uh, use of LinkedIn. Let me ask you about that to dive into that idea of that thought leadership. I I think that's really really important. And, and whether or not you call it thought leadership or personal brand or whatever it is, it's this idea of, kind of using this tool to stay in front of your, your prospects and clients, right? When salespeople are using the, this tool, for example, LinkedIn, to do that, are you finding anything in the data about like the right ways of doing that or good ways of doing that? Or is it still a little too early to no, tell? No, no. We, we definitely have data on that. Um, one of the keys is... If you're going to be sharing that, you've got to build your network, right? Because that's the way it gets in front of more and more people. Okay. You know, it's a simple uh, reaching the audience, your reach, right? Just yep. like advertising, you want to have a, you want to have a big network if you're going to be be sharing content on LinkedIn, ideally. 
Right, right. The other thing is is um, you want to do it at a certain frequency. You, you don't want to do it like just a couple times a year. You want to have regularly stay in front of people. Same right. time, like when you're – so that's broadly using LinkedIn to share content, like putting it uh, an article or a post. But if you're, yep. if you're using InMail, which is the tool where you can send messages directly to uh, sales targets – what you need there is uh, it has to be useful um, and you can't be bothering people on a on too regular of a basis. You want to make sure that what you're sharing is uh, quality content uh, rather than quantity content in that more personal directed part of LinkedIn. So it's somewhat complicated. You know, there's two, two general ways to use LinkedIn to, to reach people, the sharing broad content and then, in-mailing people directly. Well, and, and I, it's fascinating you say that because if we go back earlier, even in our conversation, and definitely earlier kind of pre-pandemic where it seemed like we'd re- reached this crescendo of automation and scaling. And I instead of customizing our outreach, it was just, hey, I want to just get in front of as many people as possible. Uh, you actually interviewed me uh, for the, I think it was a LinkedIn sales blog about Buyer First. And my reaction was like, Buyer First is kind of stupid. You, we were always supposed to be there, right? Lawrence, I, I, let me say, the fact that we have to be reminded that it's buyer first is stupid. Buyer first is is critical. It's also then interesting to hear you say what you just said about how to be effective on LinkedIn because it's not about, hey, how do we automate this and scale it and just send out a bunch of in-mails or just post uh, as much as possible. It really is still about how do we customize this? How do we make sure it's relevant? How do we put really useful insights in front of our network so that we can develop that thought leadership. Is that right? Am I saying that right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And one, we have um, some some of our survey data, which we didn't include in the state of sales report itself. We're going to have a a new version come out that's uh, about how top performers, what they do differently than than regular performers. And what we found that's, I think, fascinating, and and it goes with the the buyer first thing, is that uh, even in this automated world, what top performers do differently is they actually spend slightly less time selling and much more time preparing. So they, Interesting. you know, they, they, they really target who they're going to go after. And then they spend a lot of time researching who that person is, whether that's on LinkedIn or even just something as simple as Google, understanding who the, who the buyer is, what their role is, understanding their company, understanding the competitors Mm -hmm. of of the product you're selling. And if you understand all that, if you have this knowledge and you've done the research, you can craft the right message for the buyer to get them to pay attention to you. you, They see that you are useful. They see that you've done your homework, your preparation, and you're not just sort of reaching out to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people at the same time. You have really personalized the message. And that that goes a long way to becoming a top performer. It's really about relevance, right? I mean, there's so much noise out there that if you can, the way to cut through is actually to be able to say to, you know, let's say prospect XYZ, because you're trying to, you know, build uh, your pipeline. If you can reference something they're specifically working on or a specific solution to the problems that are common to them or their company, you're just going to get their attention, right? Absolutely. And 
even if you and if you can't get that because sometimes that is more difficult and and we're talking about sure. the skills and the talents sometimes that that is a talent that's reserved for the top let's say third top quarter of salespeople to really fully get that even if you use uh, your research to find out something uh, like where they went to college that kind of stuff can be. Right can be a way to break the ice and get to the point where you can begin to figure out what they really need, what they really want from your company. Right. Find that connection. But to your point, it's it's just a matter of maybe spending some of that time doing the research. And and that's that's available to everybody. I think one thing that that I've done over the past couple of years now, especially, both in terms of LinkedIn or digital selling, but also just, you know, kind of the offline sales coaching and training is just having this this focus on, as you said, preparation. And, and instead of just saying, make as many calls as possible, make less calls, but make sure they're relevant. Make sure that they actually have a better chance of success. I, I mean, to think about it in terms of LinkedIn, everybody has a horror story of being uh, the subject of connect and pitch, as, as I call it, right? Where somebody connects uh, or tries to connect to you on LinkedIn, sends you an invite, and then all of a sudden the first message is a pitch. And I, of course, laugh because so many of the people that do it to me are offering to like help me with LinkedIn. <laughs> and I'm like, you obviously have not looked at my profile at all. But the more that salespeople can actually go, hey, let me look, let me look at a profile. I think that's what LinkedIn's great for. Find that connection, have a human conversation, or just at least know a little bit about your organization doesn't mean you're going to get 100% of the conversations you ask for, but to your point, you're going to have much more success, right? Yeah. yeah. It's about um, swinging at the right pitch. Yeah. Love that's that. The, that's what you uh, you can do with your own research. And your own research may tell you, I should not call this person or I should not call this person now. Maybe I should call them three to six months from now. And it can save you a lot of time and, uh, and headaches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's... It'll also be interesting to see, uh, from my perspective, how long it takes sales leadership to figure that out, right? Because I think part of the challenge right now is that a lot of times sales leadership and maybe just sales organizations in general are still working off this old model, uh, right? Where it's just activity and, hey, I, don't spend time on LinkedIn, just make more calls or send more emails or right, just more, more, more. And it's going to almost take the sales leadership figuring out, hey, we need to support and encourage our people to use these tools like LinkedIn or to work on thought leadership to take that half an hour a day to do some research or to to post, engage with other people's uh, content. Yep. Even though that might not have an immediate effect, it's going to have a long-term effect, right? But that's almost like a shift in in sales leadership thinking. Is, is yeah. that right? And, and we found that um, we found that sales organizations may be a barrier to buyers or, or sellers behaving in a way that buyers want. Really? Wait. Okay. Tell me. Okay. Tell me more about that because it seems kind of counterintuitive. Well, it seems. Yeah. It it does. Uh, but so I'm not disagreeing with you. It seems like something they I'll would give do. You the, I'll give you the background. So 60, we found that 65% of sellers say they always put the buyer first. Okay. You know, going back to our top performers idea, those top performers are people in the survey that met uh, quota by 125% or more. Okay. They said they put the buyer first 72%. So seven percentage points higher. They're always putting the buyer okay. first. Now, 
buyers they kind of disagree with this. They say that twenty, you know, twenty three percent of buyers said that sell the sellers they're dealing with are always putting the buyer first. So that's wow, that's a big that's a big discrepancy. Yeah, it's kind of like a three X right discrepancy. Yeah. So what's at work there? Well, we think that I mean, and we ask these questions. So we identified that there are certain behaviors from sellers that are you know undeniably buyer first. So we'll we'll name a few of them: providing free and easy access to product reviews and other content, mm-hmm. staying actively engaged after the sale to ensure value mm-hmm. delivery, being completely transparent of pricing. And we we asked about a few others uh, of these behaviors that we defined as buyer first. What we found okay. is that there's a massive agreement between buyers and sellers that look, this is buyers say this is what I want, and sellers say this is what I'm trying to deliver. In every case, it was almost exact, the agreement between buyers and sellers on this. Okay. Sellers are trying to deliver it. Buyers want these behaviors like providing free and easy access to product reviews and other content. But then what we found is in the actual practice, buyers, uh, sellers are saying um, that, well, buyers are saying like about a third of the time I'm getting these behaviors you know, all of the time. But sellers are saying that their organizations are blocking them from doing this. They're saying that, like, uh, my organization is only letting me do this 39% of the time or 45% of the time. So that there's a, there's a, the disconnect is in the sales organization asking for their sellers to meet short-term goals like revenue, right? Which you know, mm-hmm. is obviously what the what the sellers have to do, but there's right. also this kind of disconnect about what the long term value of of the buyer is. And there were other other uh, reasons that sales professionals thought that maybe there were these barriers to their organization and to them uh, behaving in a buyer first manner. There was lack of skill set to do it. Um, like I said, the emphasis on short term goals. There's also limited budgets to to make sure that some mm-hmm. of that's done. A lack of commitment to training or inadequate coaching. So it it is interesting that there is this sense on both the buyer and seller side that we should be doing a lot of these buyer first behaviors, but the realities of organizational culture on the sales side can make it different difficult to do. So what I'm hearing is to my point about sales leadership is sales leadership and and maybe even broader organizational leadership, they haven't really caught up with some of these changes that are happening in in the buyer-seller relationship and how sales happens, it sounds like. You have to to feel for them too, right? Because these changes are happening at a a faster pace all the time. We found that uh, 85% of sales managers said that, that change is happening at a faster pace, dealing with it more than five years ago. And we asked the same question oh, yeah. a year ago, and it, the answer was 70%. So there's like a 15 or 16 percentage point difference in that uh, sales managers and other sales leaders are saying that change is coming at them at this incredibly fast pace. Yeah, well, we were flippantly saying that there was 10, 10 years of change in 10 months. That's pretty freaking fast if you think yeah, about absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, and you, there's, a, there's a lot to change. I mean, you, the organizations are hard, hard to change. And, you know, oftentimes it requires new people to make the organization change. And that's, 
that's those are all very difficult decisions to make. Yeah. And changing the culture overnight is very, very hard. People are used to doing things the way they like to do them. And now they're going to have to change their culture and the way they're doing things in a hybrid environment, probably where they're around each other sometimes. And sometimes they're working from home or, you know, they're remote. So yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting, which uh, is why you need to uh, drink beer. Uh, Cause it, (laughs) it it makes it easier. I guess you can do that more now. Right. So yeah. Did, did you like my segue yeah, that there? that was good. But I do have something to say about remote working. I know we talked about it before and that the um, managers found it much more difficult than they thought it was going to be to manage remotely. Um, about two-thirds of them said they it was more difficult than they thought it was going to be. So that's just another layer of difficulty in this in coping with all of this change is, uh, is that, wow. that management part. And the other thing is that uh, buyers like it, so it's not going to go away. And and a lot of sellers like it too. You know, you think of selling as an in-person culture, but a lot of salespeople we found in the in the report were planning to continue working remotely um, into the into the near future. I could see that. It, well, and we do have these digital tools, which I it would have been a little different twenty years ago when you could only call somebody or email maybe. Now, the fact that we have Zoom or asynchronous video, LinkedIn, LinkedIn has got a lot of new features as well. But I think you bring up a really interesting point that we're going we're going through this change on the buyer and seller side that requires new skills, new cultural, organizational cultural uh, focus areas. And uh, we're doing it when we're not even around each other that often. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, <laughs> interesting couple and, of years, is what I'm and, hearing. You know, organizations demand measurement, right? To to kind of monitor how they're changing and whether it's for the better. And that's that's also difficult right now, especially if you're in an organization that was serving, say, the travel industry, like we talked about before. Like, how do right. you fairly measure a salesperson in that in that kind of context? It's difficult because they are definitely not going to meet quota unless they get extremely lucky. And you don't want to measure activity. You'd like to measure customer satisfaction, et cetera. But activity kind of moved up the, uh, the ladder in terms of the, uh, what sales organizations were measuring right. to kind of gauge how their salespeople were doing. And in this kind of era, maybe that was the right thing to do. I, I think the activity as a measurement will go down in the future. And the, the mm-hmm. other measurements, I mean, quota is always going to be there, but the other measurements we found that were more long-term focused, like lifetime customer value, uh, customer retention, customer satisfaction, that talked more uh, holistically about the organization, were moving up uh, the ladder and becoming much more important as metrics. And I can, I can imagine that that will continue on because a lot of the things we've been talking about as far as being successful uh, as a salesperson are long-term metrics, right? It's not a – and his sales cycles probably increase a little bit in length because of the fact that you're not in person. Yeah, it makes sense to be able to pull in some of these, these longer-term metrics and not just, hey, did you hit quota this quarter? Correct. That'll still be important, and we don't want to, you know, sales professionals, part of their job is to perform. So I don't think those are going to go away. But my guess is the organizations that can take more of a nuanced approach 
to really understanding how their salespeople are doing, not only now, but also let's say their potential for success in the future. The ones that really can get a good picture of that, not only are they going to have their salespeople be more successful in the short term, but they'll they'll attract and retain the right talent, right? Because they won't go, oh, this person didn't really, you know, they only got 70% of quota this month or this quarter, let's say. Uh, so we're going to get rid of them versus, wow, they hit 70% of quota, but oh my gosh, they did all of this other stuff as far as customer retention, you know, uh, long-term customer success value. They're going to have a huge six to nine months after this quarter. Does, yeah, that, does yeah, that make correct. sense? Yeah. You know, all those pipeline metrics uh, are important. And the the fact that, you know, maybe that 70% of quota, all of those businesses are great fits for you and will stick around much longer than uh, other customers brought in by other salespeople. Right. That's it, it, lots to think about. All right. We could keep talking about say of sales for a lot longer. So I'm going to make us talk about okay. beer, which I mean, it won't be, won't be too hard. What's uh what's a fun beer you're drinking right now? All right. Well, and then this again, maybe if, if people have listened to this from last year, I am a, I am not a beer. I'm a I'm an aficionado, but I'm not like a snob. I would say, like I don't. That's I fair. like Pilsners, Lagers, you know, the light stuff. And there's I live right by um, Half Acre Brewery here in Chicago. And, oh, great! Uh, so brewery. I like their Pilsner with the Pony. Is really good. The pony, yeah. yeah. So uh, I like that, and that's basically it. I, I am very like set in my ways, you know, so, Nothing wrong but with that. the other thing I, I am drinking more, um, cocktails these days. And, and also in our neighborhood, we've got this, uh, you know, we've got the, the brewery on this block and then two blocks down, we've got the, uh, the new cocktail bar, the Victor cocktail bar it's called. And it's, uh, okay. the, it's fantastic. Oh, cool. What's, what's, what's a cocktail you're digging? Well, right now? I'm, uh, you have to, understand my palate is like i love like soda i drink a lot of ginger beer i drink a lot of orange okay. drink like i have like the the, the palate of like a 11 year old <laughs> i like the, the like uh they make a good moscow mule in there uh, okay and uh the hemingway daiquiri i like which is the grapefruit daiquiri. oh yeah so that's that stuff is uh is what i that's what i Ten towards. Okay, you ever have a gin gin? I have not. No. Oh, you mean the uh, the candy? No, 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 no. It's a cocktail. Yeah. Okay. It it's a cocktail. It's basically a. Uh, I I'll have to look up the recipe. I've made it for. It's delicious. It's basically ginger beer and gin, and uh, like mint, and a, just a little bit of syrup, simple syrup, and I, I and I think that it might be. Uh, just like soda water, uh, something like that. But it's just such a great, refreshing drink. And my pal is probably a little, little closer to yours. I like the sweet yeah. stuff, and uh, I highly recommend it. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to send the the uh, right, the recipe away. I'm writing away. it down here now. Um, I will, uh, I will give that a shot. I, I think you'll dig it. Uh, and uh, what, what's, what's some fun music? I know this could probably be another full. Uh, podcast because yeah. you, you, you dig some great music, but anything uh, that's uh, that caught, that's caught your ear lately. So when we talked the last time I was, I was talking about my, uh, my love of uh, sort of punk music. 
yeah, your punk background. That that's gone nowhere. I still I still love that. But I I I have two daughters. They're both uh, in their twenties now, and I I try to to uh, pay attention to what they listen to. Okay. And so I I like a lot of stuff. I I've kind of like realized that what I really like is great pop music. Oh, okay. And and that that can you know pop can can range you know. a lot of things like, but I love music that is just crafted so well. And that can range from like, there's this song that's huge right now, though, Levitating by Dua Lipa. I can't do enough of that. Okay, and that yeah. was introduced to me by both my daughters. My one, my younger daughter is huge into Khalid. Okay, sure. And uh, he's uh, an excellent craftsman himself. He's really, really knows how to create a pop song. And then I've been trying to like, influence my daughters by trying to drive them to music that I think they would like. I've been showing uh, my younger daughter, Al Green, a lot. Nice. Like the, uh, you know, Take Me to the River that he did, and then the uh, the version that the Talking Heads did just a few years after. You know, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a great way. She's a, she's a skilled musician. She plays the piano. She uh, can play the guitar and the ukulele and is a really good singer. And I, you know, showing her the difference between how those two artists approach the same song, I think it's really interesting. Even to me, somebody who doesn't really know how to play an instrument, I think she mm-hmm. can, can get a better, deeper view of how those two singers, you know, approach that song. I, I always enjoy when I can find, uh, you know, a popular song, that is then redone by another and usually well-known artist, and just as you said, hear the different phrasings or the different approach. And sometimes it's great just hearing not as well-known uh, artists cover a well-known song because they'll bring something completely new to it. I think back to to my sordid past in the ska world and ska music, and, and this is going back 15, 20 years. But it used to be a really big thing where they every ska band had to cover. I think it was a rule had to cover at least one eighties pop song. And what was always fascinating was the ones that were really just like, we're going to take this as a foundation and we're going to just do whatever we want with it. And it it was, yeah, it was just, it was always interesting to realize how much more malleable music really is than we often think. Yeah. I think that, I think that's totally true. The cover that I think of is, uh, is uh, the song Atlantic city by Bruce Springsteen and okay. I've heard versions by a number of people, but the, uh, the band does an incredible cover of it with Levon Helm singing it. And then oh, wow. the whole okay. steady also does a cover of it with uh, Craig Finn. singing. Interesting. Yeah, both of those covers are, are amazing and they build on the, the song that Springsteen wrote. Very cool. You know what? I think, I think when, when we reference Springsteen, that's always a good place to, to bring bring this uh, conversation to an end. Uh, where else can we go? Sean, at the end of every conversation, as you know, I always ask what's one tip you'd give somebody to help them have a better day today. So what would your tip be? When you think about in, in the context of sales uh, and life, I mean, a very simple thing is just treat people the way you'd want to be treated. I think it's uh, so simple. It's almost stupid. But you, it right. goes. It goes a huge way to when you're a salesperson reaching out to somebody to think about what you 
feel like in in their shoes. The whole empathy thing. You can mm-hmm. do that, and you can craft your outreach around that concept. I think you'll do a lot better. And I was reading one one of the things I've been doing as I as I write more about sales is we we queried a bunch of uh, of salespeople about what book was most important to them in their sales career, and you know what we found was that the most, the book that was mentioned the most often was uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Classic. And that book, you know, yeah, and it's it's almost 100 years old now. And the idea in it, it's basically, I've been describing it as the first buyer first, you know, piece of content. It was all about looking at the, the person you were dealing with from their uh, viewpoint, you know, standing in their shoes and behaving accordingly. Fantastic. I, I, I agree. And it's almost, uh, you know, in sales and in life, just be human first, right? The other, you know, thinking about the other person as a person and, and then and engaging on that level. And then, you know, you build the business up on that, whether that's sales or, or whatever else you're trying to do. Another thing that can make people's lives better is just listen to more Al Green. <laughs> Al Green is not going to make anything worse. It can only make it better. Yep. I 100% agree. Uh, Sean, if you want to continue the conversation, what's the best way of following up with you? Um, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, Sean Callahan. Uh, (laughs) You can email me if you want to, scallahan at linkedin.com. And if you want to take a look at the state of sales report that we have been discussing here, there's a short link. It's lnkd.in slash State of Sales 2021. And we'll make sure to put the uh, the link to that in the show notes as well if people want to grab it. But I, I definitely encourage people to take a listen, uh, listen to to uh, take a look at it uh, and check it out. Uh, as we finish up, of course, want to say thank you to our sponsors for this episode. Northcut SEO, our season sponsor. Uh, SEO badasses uh, for sure. Uh, and that they're at northcut.com and there's two T's in Northcut. And uh, of course, thank you to our beverage sponsor, Dovetail. Uh, their Baltic Porter so delicious that it's uh, it's finished. I, I, it's, I have an empty glass in front of me. So thank you to Dovetail for supporting us. And of course, if you're not here in the Chicagoland area and can't go buy some Dovetail beer, which you should if you can because it's delicious, no matter where you are, go and support your local brewery or craft distillery, winery, coffee maker, just... Uh, any of your small business, small local businesses that are, are making something because they're passionate about creating a great product for their customers. We've been through a, a crazy time with the pandemic. I don't think we're at the end of it by any means, but the more you can do to support them, uh, the better. So I want to give give all the uh, the local peeps uh, a plug there. And everybody, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, listening to our conversation. If you did, please tell a friend. Uh, The best way for people to find out about a new podcast is through somebody they know. So if you could uh, share us with uh, somebody you know who would enjoy our conversations, I would appreciate it. And uh, until we chat again, have a great day. Thanks. Thanks for stopping by. You can find show notes and links in this episode at beerbeatsandbusiness.com. We all know the best way to find out about a new podcast is through our friends. So please help us out and share what we're doing through social media or just tell someone. And if you could do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes or Stitcher, that would be great. 
Want to get in on the conversation? Send Deep Fish a message on Twitter at Deep Fish Rockstar. And we'll save a spot for you at the bar for the next Beer, Beats, and Business. <laughs>